As I was getting ready for this message, I, I don't think I've ever been as excited to preach as I am for this message. I mean, I know I'm relatively young, so I haven't preached like a ton of messages, but I've never been so excited to preach a message as I am right now. I mean, I've been so distracted with my excitement the last few days. Honestly, I'm just glad I remembered to comb my hair and wear my pants today, frankly. Um, you know. And uh, the reason for that is simple. You know, I mean, like you, I've been celebrating Palm Sunday, you know, my whole life. I mean, from the, I I can remember celebrating many, many Palm Sundays, but it isn't until this year where I really realized how beautiful and how powerful the very first Palm Sunday was. I just don't think it clicked with me until this week, because you see, this week I opened up Matthew chapter 21, and Mark chapter 11, and Luke chapter 19, and John chapter 12, and all of these different accounts of what we call the triumphal entry, which is what we're celebrating today, which is when Jesus was riding on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem, and, and only days before the crucifixion, you have many people come out to welcome him, and to praise him, and to worship him, and to give him a king's welcome. And I don't know why, but there was just something about that that really, that really just made me get emotional, honestly, just reading it. It really touched me. And I'm not somebody who gets emotional very easily, but it really spoke to me. And I think it spoke to me because, you know, like you, I, I turn on the news sometimes, and, uh, you know, five seconds later, I wish I wouldn't have, because um, I see a lot of the crazy things that are going on in our world. And as a Christian, I know that one of the reasons why so, much crazy, so many crazy things are happening is because Jesus is being shut out. He's being shut out culturally, spiritually, ethically, morally. But when I open up the Bible and I read about the very first Palm Sunday, I see perhaps thousands of people who lived in a messed up world like what we live in, and yet they were willing to come out and welcome Jesus, and they were willing to stand and be counted and say, Jesus, we don't want to shut you out of our city. We want you to come on in. And there was something about that that just spoke to me. And these people gave Jesus such a huge welcome party with their, with their palm branches and their singing and their shouting that 2018 years later, we're still sitting here talking about how incredible it was and celebrating it as a holiday. I don't know about you, but that gets me fired up. I love that. And, and I don't know about you, but I just, I, I just love that. There's something about that story that just stands out to me. And on this Palm Sunday in 2018, I just want to give you a standalone message called Welcome King Jesus. I want to give you a message called Welcome King Jesus. And here's why I called it that. Because we're never going to be perfect as Christians. We're never going to be even close to perfect. But one thing I know is that if we try our best to make Jesus welcome in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we influence other people, And in the way that we influence our culture, I believe something great can come from that. I believe that a revival is possible in our country today. And maybe you'd say, you know, uh, Stephen, you're kind of optimistic. Hey, you know what? I am as confident that a revival can happen in our country right now as I am that the sun is going to come up tomorrow morning. And and maybe you'd say, Stephen, that's crazy because don't you know it's bad out there? Don't you know it's bad out there? Yeah. Yeah. I know it's bad out there. I know. But don't you know the worse it gets, the more people come to the end of their rope, and the more people come to the end of their rope, the more they realize they need God. I was driving on the highway a little while ago, and I saw a billboard that said, Jesus is at the end of your rope. I thought that was pretty good. (laughs) But the worse it gets, the more people come to the end of that rope, and the the more people get there, the more they realize they need God. Why do you think that some of the greatest revivals in history have come on the tail end of some of the greatest challenges 
No, I think a revival is possible. I think it's near. And maybe you say, well, Stephen, you're going the wrong direction because you know Jesus is coming back soon and there's not much time left on the clock. So why are, you, why are you talking about revival? Hey, I know better than that. I'm a football fan. I've been watching football my whole life. I know the best stuff always happens in the fourth quarter. I'm not giving up on God doing something great right now. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up at all. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss out on what God wants to do right now. I mean, let's, let's, let's stop talking about yesterday. I don't want to miss out on what he wants to do right now. And if that's you, I just want to tell you why the triumphal entry is actually very relevant to you. I want to talk about why the very first Palm Sunday should be very relevant to you. So if, you're, if you got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 21. If you're high tech and you got your phone, go ahead and swipe to Matthew chapter 21 uh, or whatever the kids call it nowadays. So um, let's get into Matthew 21. Now this is, this is Jesus and his disciples, all right? Check it out. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. Now here's what's cool. This isn't the message, but I'm just going to say it anyway. All right. Most of the time, the, the, the triumphal entry is a celebration of Jesus' kingship. And most of the time when kings would ride into the city, they would not ride on a donkey. They would ride on a horse because a horse was a symbol of power. I'm a conqueror. I'm a king. But Jesus rides in on a donkey. I mean, that's incredible to me because Jesus is so powerful. He's like, I don't need any horse to project my power. I don't need a horse to show people that my kingdom is coming. I'm just going to ride on a donkey. Why? Because riding in on, in on, into the city on a donkey was a symbol of peace. And Jesus is the prince of peace. And he can still bring peace today. This isn't even the message, but I, 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 am, sick, I am sick of watching people disrespecting each other today. I'm sick of it. And, and Jesus is able to bring that kind of peace where we can respect each other again and love each other again. So Jesus rides in on a donkey. That's not the message. Let's get back into this. And the, the, so the, the disciples brought the donkey and the colt, and they placed their cloaks on them. Some translations will say garments. It's just the outer garment on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees. That's where we get the palm branches, the palm, Palm Sunday and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's from the Old Testament. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, I, I, I've, got a, I've got a lot of things I want to say about this particular story, but before I get into that, I want to address the theological elephant in the room. There is a very common opinion about the triumphal entry that these people could not have been real believers because only a few days later there was a crowd of people who were not yelling Hosanna, but instead they were yelling crucify him. And it's a common opinion to assume that it was the same crowd at the triumphal entry as the crowd at Jesus' trial. There's only one problem with that. The Bible doesn't necessarily back that up. In fact, there's plenty of evidence to the contrary. First of all, Jesus was arrested at night only a few days later by the Pharisees because they were afraid if they arrested Jesus in, in broad daylight in public that they would get backlash. They might get a riot. So if all of Jesus' followers had turned against them because the, king, the kingdom had not come at once, who exactly were the Pharisees afraid of? Second of all, if you read the Gospels, particularly John, 
It says over and over and over again that there was a lot of people in Jerusalem who loved Jesus, who loved his miracles, who believed in him, and there was a lot of people who didn't believe in him, they didn't like him, and they hated him. It's kind of like America today is what it was like. And so you could make a very compelling argument that there was plenty of supporters who were willing to go to the triumphal entry, and there was plenty of haters who were willing to yell, crucify him. And third of all, and many theologians will use Luke 19.11 to suggest that the people were confused about when the kingdom of God would come. And when the kingdom of God didn't come immediately, that's when they turned against Jesus. There's only one problem with that. Jesus' own disciples couldn't always figure out how the kingdom of God would unfold. And yet they were not fakers. They were not actors. They were genuine. Many of them died for Jesus. So no, here's my point. I can't go back 2,000 years and see it with my own eyes and prove it to you, but I don't believe the triumphal entry was for fakers. I believe there was people in this crowd who really loved Jesus. I believe there were people there who wanted to see him welcome in their society. I believe there was people in this crowd who wanted to see a spiritual awakening happen. These were the people who came out to say, welcome King Jesus. And there was four things they did that I believe can teach us about how to make Jesus more welcome in our world and possibly see a revival as a result of that. So you ready? Let's, let's get into this, all right? Here's the first thing that the people did. Jesus was welcomed by people humbling themselves. Oh my gosh, this is, this is good. Jesus was welcomed by people humbling themselves. I, I want you to pay close attention to what both the Jesus' disciples did and the crowds did. Pay close attention to this. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now, I know this doesn't look like a mountaintop moment right now, but, I, but it is. And let me tell you why. Think about this. In the ancient world, the clothes you wore were much more than just clothes. They were a symbol of your pride and your dignity and your status in society. If you were wealthy, people could see it in the clothes you wore. If you were powerful, people could see it in the clothes you wore because powerful people dressed a certain way. If you were very religious in certain instances, people could see that in the clothes you wore. So the idea of laying down this symbol of pride and status and dignity at somebody's feet, that was a statement. And not only that, there's more to it than just that because in the ancient world, if you laid down your garment at someone's feet, you were basically saying, this person is way up here and I'm way down here and I submit to their authority. How do I know that? Well, because in 2 Kings chapter 9, when Jehu was anointed king of Israel, what was the very first thing people did to acknowledge that he was king and to submit to his authority? They laid their garments at his feet. This was an act reserved for kings and conquerors, and yet that was the exact thing that people did to honor Jesus. It's incredible. Man, can I start preaching right now? Because I'd really like to start preaching right now. We cannot see a revival happen in this country if we are determined to worship Jesus and our own pride at the same time. We cannot do that. We got to lay down our pride just like these people were willing to lay down their garments. Because I don't know about you, but when I let pride win, I have a way of giving God my lip service and giving me control. You know? When I let pride win, no matter what God tells me to do, I, I'm going to find a way to kind of sneak my agenda in there a little bit, you know? I'm really good at that. Um, 
You know, we just had St. Patrick's Day the other day, and uh, every St. Patrick's Day, I think about some of my favorite Irish jokes. Uh, I, got, I got a lot of Irish in my ancestry, so sometimes I just like to, like to read Irish jokes, and uh, I want to tell you my favorite Irish joke of all time, if that's all right. Uh, so the joke goes like this, right? So there's this Irish priest, and this was a long time ago. And the Irish and the English did not like each other for a long time. I mean, they still probably don't get along super well, but a long time ago, they did not get along at all. They fought wars, they did, you know, all this stuff. And so this Irish priest, every single week, he preaches the same sermon against the English. We're mad at the English. The English are bad. And so eventually the bishop catches wind of this, and the bishop calls the priest into his office and says, hey, man, you can't, you can't do that. You can't preach the same sermon every week, all right? You've got to preach the gospel. You've got to preach about Jesus. And so the priest says, all right, all right, all right. Next Sunday, I'll preach on the Last Supper. I'll preach on the Lord's Supper. And so the very next Sunday, the Irish priest gets up and he says, today I'm going to speak on the Lord's Supper. And the Lord said to the disciples, one of you will betray me. And the blessed St. Peter stood up and said, Is it I, Lord? Am I the one to betray you? And Jesus said, No, it isn't you, Peter. And the blessed St. Thomas stood up and said, Then is it I, Lord? Am I the one to betray you? And the Lord said, No, it isn't you, Tommy. And the blessed St. Matthew stood up and said, Then is it I, Lord? Am I the one to betray you? And the Lord said, No, it's not you, Matty. And then Judas stood up and said, well, blimey, it must be me, mate. <laughs> There's always a way to sneak that agenda in there, you know? And uh, here's why I love that joke, because it reminds me of myself, you know? Because I'm really good at, at sneaking what I want to do in there, no matter what someone tells me to do. I'm really good at that. And, and here's the thing. I guess that's not the worst trait in the world, but... It gets me in trouble whenever God is telling me to do something and I want to sneak my own way in there. And that's where my pride comes in. And so many times I want to, I want to do it my way. But here's what's, here's what's so cool. If we want to see a move of God, we got to lay down the way we want to do things as Christians at Jesus' feet. we got to lay that down. Why? Because here's the thing. Whatever you do, remember this. I can't make Jesus more welcome out there if something is keeping me from making him fully welcome in here. And as Christians, this is something we all struggle with. It's something that we all wrestle with, but we need to talk about it. We can't go back 2,000 years in history and lay down our our garments at Jesus' feet, but we can lay down our pride We can't go back 2,000 years and cut a palm branch and lay it on the road, but we can lay down that addiction. We can lay down the stubbornness. We can lay down the sin. We can lay down the anger. We can lay down the unforgiveness. We can lay down the hate. And it's in that moment when God's people do that that revival starts. It's in that moment when revival starts, not when everybody out there gets their stuff together. It's when we start to think about getting our stuff together. That's when revival starts. Jesus was welcomed by people humbling themselves. I mean, if you go to 2 Chronicles 7.14, which a lot of scholars would call the blueprint for revival, it says this, and this is God, this is God speaking. He says, if my people, because a lot of times as Christians, we sort of look, you know, watch the news and we look outside and we're like, you know what? It's all of those people. It's those people who don't know Jesus. That's why the world is crazy. No, 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 forget that. God says, if my people which are called by my name, 
shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. And I love this. This is one of the most beautiful lines in the whole Old Testament. And I will forgive them. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. You know what? We could get everybody in our country together right now in a room. And the one thing we would all agree on is that our land is in need of a lot of healing. If we want our land to be healed by God, we got to humble ourselves. Here's the second thing. Jesus was welcomed by people who called him king. I love this. You know, there's, there's not a ton of stories that are in all four Gospels, but this, the story of the triumphal entry is. And I don't think that's an accident. That's not an accident at all. And earlier we were reading from Matthew, where it says the people were saying, Hosanna, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But that doesn't even tell the half of it. Because if you open up the book of Luke, and you look at Luke 19.38, the, the people were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Open up John 12. The, the people were yelling, blessed is the king of Israel. Man, this lights a fire under me when I read this. Because uh, we live in a culture where it's okay to call Jesus your buddy. It's okay to call him a great man. You can call Jesus a good philosopher. You can call him a great religious leader. You can call him your role model. You can call him your inspiration. You can call him your bro. But boy, howdy, if you call him your king, if you call him your Lord and Savior, man, the people on Twitter are going to throw a fit. You know? People are going to say, hey, you're being exclusive, y'all. You're being closed-minded. You need to be more open-minded. Hey, I'm all about being open-minded. I love being open-minded. When I'm open-minded, I can get outside my little bubble and understand ideas and people that are beyond my, what I understand. But as the great theologian G.K. Chesterton once said, the point of an open mind is the same as the point of an open mouth, to close it on something solid. And for me, that's Jesus. For me, that's Jesus. I don't have a lot of time to get into this, but if we want to see God move, we got to have a generation of Christians who are willing to openly, strongly, confidently call Jesus more than just a good man, more than just a good philosopher, more than just a prophet, more than just a, a great leader, more than just a role model, more than just an inspiration. We need a generation of Christians willing to call him king. We got to call him king, and, and we need to call him that when the world is watching, we got to call him that when the world is watching, because the world is watching what we're doing right now. They're watching. Here's the third thing. Jesus was welcomed because word got out about him. I could make the whole message on just this one point. This is my favorite. If I had to pick one out of the four, this is it. You know, the Bible never says how many people showed up at the triumphal entry. It never says. But if you open up Matthew and John in particular, it's very clear this was not just a prayer meeting. This was a Billy Graham crusade. There was a lot of people there. And it begs the question, why? Why did so many people show up? And we got to be extra impressed by that because in Matthew chapter 21, it says this. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? So apparently there was a lot of people in Jerusalem who didn't even know who Jesus was. And yet there was this giant crowd how did that work? Like, did someone, what was there, like free food? Or did someone, you know, do a hashtag, Palm Sunday Funday, come today? <laughs> you know, how did that work? I'll tell you how. 
Not long before this, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And some of Jesus' miracles had a small audience, but this miracle had a big audience. And there was a lot of people who saw him do that. And apparently, that just lit a fire under them, and they just went around telling all kinds of people, hey, there's this amazing man named Jesus who raised somebody from the dead. And by the way, he's coming to town today. you got to go see him. And in John chapter 12, it says this. It says, now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead. I love this line. Continued to spread the word. Many people, because why? Because they had heard. Because they had heard. Because they had heard that he went, that that, that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. Oh my gosh, let's just park here for a while. This is great. Not everybody, apparently there was plenty of people in Jerusalem who didn't know who Jesus was, but the ones who did, didn't keep it to themselves. Ooh, I like that. Because, you know, just like there's a lot of people in Jerusalem in this story who didn't know who Jesus was, there's a lot of people out there right now who don't know who he is either. And I'm talking about good people, wonderful people, the kind of people you want to be around. There's a lot of wonderful people out there who don't know who he is, and it's just because no one's bothered to tell them. They don't recognize him. And then in the beginning of John, it says that Jesus came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. And so many people today still don't recognize him. You know, I love funny stories. I live for a funny story. That's why I tell so many goofy stories. If you get tired of it, I'm sorry. This is just my thing. And uh, probably my favorite funny story of all time is about Cary Grant. Uh, For those of you who don't know who Cary Grant is, is, he still remains the most famous actor of all time. He is the greatest. You've heard of the GOAT, greatest of all time. Cary Grant is the GOAT of acting. And if you, don't, if you don't know who he is, he was George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Daniel Day-Lewis, and Tom Hanks all rolled into one person. And from the 1930s to the 1960s, he was the guy. There was all the other celebrities, and then there was Cary Grant. Everybody else was famous. Cary was a legend. And people still talk about him to this day. But in the 1970s and 1980s, his movies were not in the theaters as much. And so there was slightly fewer people who knew who he was. And uh, it was during this time where there was this lady who visited Hollywood. And she was determined to find a movie star. She just had to. She mean, she was looking around. She was in L.A. for two weeks trying to, to bump into somebody famous. But she couldn't find anybody. And so she was about to leave L.A., and she looked outside the front of her hotel, and she saw Cary Grant and Michael Caine talking to each other. And she, her eyes lit up, and she ran out, and she was like, Michael Caine, oh my gosh, I, I've been in Hollywood two weeks, and I haven't met a movie star. You're the first one I've seen. This is incredible. And then she turned to the most famous movie star of all time, and she said, you know, you just don't see movie stars in Hollywood anymore, do you? (laughs) She didn't recognize him. And Cary Grant, always being the comedian, looked straight back at her and he said, you know what, ma'am, you don't. You really don't. Here's what stands out to me about 2018 America. Just like that lady was desperate to find a movie star and she couldn't find one and she, didn't, and she couldn't even recognize the most famous movie star of all time. There's a lot of people out there desperate for what Jesus can give them, but they don't recognize him yet. 
and they don't know who he is. There's a lot of people out there looking for truth. There's a lot of people out there looking to be forgiven. There's a lot of people out there looking for unconditional love from a God who's not just some impersonal force in the sky, but a God who knows their name, who cares about their story, who cares about what they're going through. I was on Spotify the other day, and I was looking at the top 50 most played songs in the United States, and the number one was a song called God's Plan by Drake. And when I looked at the song, I mean, I don't really like the fact that there's profanity in it, and I don't like all the lyrics, but I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the fact that the number one song being played is about God because so, people, so many people are just desperate for anybody to talk about God. So many people are craving Jesus, and Jesus is truth. He, is for, he forgives, he loves, he cares. He's everything that people want. But a lot of people don't know who he is because no one's told them. Someone's got to tell them. In Romans 10, Paul said this, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? That's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to do as Christians. If you only take away one line from this entire message, take away this. Jesus is too good to keep to yourself. He's too good to keep to yourself. And I know what some people might say, because I've heard this before. You might say, Stephen, Stephen, that's all well and good, you know? That's cool. I understand it. Spread the gospel, you know? But, I mean, my faith is kind of a private thing. It's between me and God, and, and I don't want to impose that on anyone. I, I get it. I get it. You know, there was a Mercedes-Benz commercial that came out a while back, and in the commercial, at the very beginning, you see this car colliding into a cement wall. And you find out that Mercedes-Benz had pioneered a particular kind of energy-absorbing car body that protects people in an accident. And at the very end of the commercial, there's a company spokesman who's being asked, why do you allow other companies to copy your technology? Why do you allow them to have the same kind of car body that you have without enforcing your patent? And he said, because some things in life are too important not to share. And Jesus is in that category. He's too important not to share. And, you know, and if we want to see a revival happen, we got to understand that he's too important not to share, and we got to share Jesus. You know, here's the thing, guys. We, we, we're never going to see Jesus lifted up high in our society if we're keeping him on the down low. We can't do that. Look at what Billy Graham said. I love this. This is one of my favorite quotes. He said, I am convinced the greatest act of love we can perform for people is to tell them about God's love for them in Christ. And boy, did he live up to that. We can, we can, we can do that. We can do that. Tell somebody. And maybe you'd say, Stephen, I, I just don't know if I can do that because when I think about evangelism, you know, I think about someone on a stage, I think about a preacher on a stage, or I think about a, an evangelist in an arena, or I think about someone on TV. Hey, guys, some of the best evangelism in our country is not on a stage like this or on, in an arena. The best evangelism that goes on in our country is over a cup of coffee at Starbucks. The best evangelism that goes on in our, in our country is, is, is at, at the desk at work. It's, it's at a basketball practice. It's at a conversation at school. That's where the best evangelism happens. And we can do that. We can do that. All of us here have a sphere of influence. The question is, will we use it to get the word out? Jesus was welcomed by people who got the word out. I like that. I like that a lot. 
Here's the last thing. Number four, Jesus was welcomed by people who were unashamed and unafraid. You know, for all the people who might think that the triumphal entry was not completely genuine, we need to realize the people who came out to see Jesus did so at their own risk. We don't talk about that. They came out at their own risk because in the book of John, we find out that the Pharisees had told the public that anybody claiming Jesus is the Messiah would be thrown out of the synagogue. They wouldn't be able to come to church. And yet these people were out there shouting that Jesus is the Messiah. It's incredible. And, and, you know, and, 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 and not long before this, there was a crowd of people that were threatening to stone Jesus. They were threatening that they wanted to kill him. And don't you know that some of the people who showed up at this event had to realize that if there were some people willing to kill Jesus, that they might also be willing to kill anybody who followed him? We don't talk about that much. These people were taking a risk by showing up, but they showed up. They showed up. They weren't ashamed. They weren't afraid. I don't have a lot of time left, but I just want to say, no matter how much pressure we feel in our culture today to be ashamed of what we believe or afraid, we don't have anything to be ashamed of and we don't have anything to be afraid of. We don't. You know, I'm convinced that God has a really funny sense of humor. Uh, Part of it is from reading the scripture, and part of it is just, I guess, an intuition. I mean, why else did he create the ability to laugh, and why else did he create a platypus? I mean, come on. Um, But uh, I'm going to help you win a bet right now. Did you know that Jesus told a joke in the New Testament? Did you know this? This is incredible. Jesus did a little bit of stand-up comedy. And... uh, Because you see, I told you a second ago, there was a group of people that threatened to stone him because Jesus said some things they didn't like. And sometimes when Jesus says some some things that people don't like today, they get angry too. But Jesus said some things they didn't like. And so they said, hey, we're going to stone you. We're going to kill you right now. And Jesus's response was pure comedy. I love this. This is great. Jesus said, at my father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? (laughs) That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Here's the thing. There's a reason why we don't need to be ashamed to be Christians. Because, I mean, you know, when I look around at the world, I see so much hostility towards Jesus, but it just doesn't make any sense because it's like, what? Is he too nice? Was he too merciful? He too loving? Was he too kind to the poor and the disenfranchised? Was he too self-sacrificial? Is that what's wrong with him? No, there was nothing wrong with Jesus. Nothing wrong with him. And therefore, there's nothing wrong with his message. There's nothing for us to be ashamed of. If you're going to be ashamed of something, be ashamed of something bad, not something good. And Jesus' point here is to say, I have done no evil. You know, in the Bible, it says that there was no deceit in his mouth. Jesus never did a single thing wrong. So why should we be ashamed of him? We don't have anything to be ashamed about. We have nothing to be ashamed of. I'm ashamed of myself sometimes because I do stupid things. Sometimes I'm ashamed of what somebody else does, but I'm never ashamed of Jesus. I'm never ashamed of him. You know, we don't have anything to be ashamed of or afraid of. I love the fact that these people at the triumphal entry were shouting at the top of their lungs, blessed is the king, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And, and this is what worries me. I kind of I wonder if, if, if there would have been American Christians at the triumphal entry, I'm not sure that it would have been so loud, you know? 
I think there would have been some people coming up to Jesus and being like, hey, thank you so much for coming here. We're so excited about you. You know, we've heard so much about you. Welcome to Jerusalem. I hope you have a great stay. But there's Pharisees back there. They're watching me. I got to go. Man, forget that. If we want to see a revival in this country, if we want to see a revival, we don't need a generation of whispering Christians. Man, we need a generation of people. Show me the people who are willing to stand up and shout, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Blessed is, the, is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Bless the king. Bless the king. We got to be willing to not be ashamed or afraid. And I talk to some Christians today and they'll say, you know, it's just so hard out there. Yeah, yeah. It's hard out there. There's, there's persecution. Guys, persecution is real. In other parts of the world, it's much harder. But in America, even though it's subtle, it's real. And some people say, you know what? It's just the worst it's ever been. Guys, when we get to heaven, we're going to meet some Christians who lived in the Roman Empire who were thrown into the Colosseum with lions. We're going to meet some Christians who were burned at the stake because they wanted to see the Bible in the hands of the common man. We're going to meet some Christians who lived under the Soviet Union who were basically told either, either drop your faith or die. We're going to meet some Christians right now over in China who are having to celebrate in underground churches because they're being persecuted. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to heaven and have those people shake their heads at me like, Really? No, no, we can't be ashamed. We don't have anything to be ashamed of. We don't have anything to be afraid of. We believe in the gospel and we are not ashamed of it. We're not ashamed. Well, I'm gonna close right here. I'm gonna close right here. On the very first Palm Sunday, Jesus was welcomed by people humbling themselves. He was welcomed by people who called him king. He was welcomed by people who spread the word, and he was welcomed by people who were unashamed and unafraid. But more than any of that, he was welcomed by people who believed he had the power to save. And that's why they were yelling, Hosanna, 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 which means save us or save now. It was an expression that was both, both a cry for help and also a cry for praise, a cry to praise God. And... Here's what's interesting. When you think, just think about the fact that Hosanna means save us. Only a few days after this, Jesus responded to that call. Because only a few days later, Jesus voluntarily let himself be beaten. He let himself be mocked. He let himself be falsely accused. He was whipped. He was humiliated. He traded a crown of glory for a crown of thorns. And he let people put nails in his hands and nails in his feet to pay for what you and I have done wrong. Why? Because he wanted to save us. He wanted to save us. And he didn't just do it for the people who showed up and yelled Hosanna. He did it for you. He did it for me. And maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, you know, that's what I want. I, I, my soul is crying Hosanna today. I'm crying to God saying, save me. And maybe you said, I, I come here with a lot of baggage and I come here with guilt, but my soul in this service, I just feel it crying out to God, save me. Save me. I want you in my life. Or maybe you're saying, Stephen, I've been in church my whole life. I've, I grew up religious. 
My family was religious or I went been to church my whole life, but you know, I just uh, suddenly I realized, you know, my my soul is crying out, Hosanna, save me, God, save me. If that's you, I I, I, just, I just want to tell you, don't leave this room without accepting Jesus into your life because he's the greatest thing that'll ever happen to you. He loves you so, so, so much. He loves you so much. And if you want him in your life, don't leave without accepting him into your life. Will you pray with me real quick? If you're sitting there and you're saying, Stephen, hey, that's me. That's totally me. I want Jesus in my life. Hey, I want to pray a prayer with you. These aren't magic words, but these are just calling out to God saying, God, save me. I want Jesus in my life. Please come into my life. If that's you, I just want to pray with you real quick. You can pray it out loud or silently, whichever one you choose. But this is just calling out to God. You ready? Here we go. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong things but I believe you love me anyway. I believe you sent Jesus to die for my sins, and I believe that he arose from the grave. Please forgive me. Please come into my heart and change me from the inside out. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, all you have to do is just fill out the the talk to us card in front of you and just check the box that said you accepted Christ and you can take that back to the info center and we just have some gifts we'd love to give you. Thanks for coming out on Palm Sunday. Again, happy Palm Sunday to all of you.